Brennan looked at me and said, who's praying? And I texted Josh and Dave, and Dave said, um, I am, I guess, but I didn't even read that text till after I, uh, I called on him. So if you're an elder at Kermansville Alliance, you've got to be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. This time, Josh Sachik will come and preach. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to open them to Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in Romans 7 and 8. If you have your phones, you'll want to go into your uh, Bible app. Um, There's not a live event because I really want you to see just the raw text of Scripture today. So there's no version live event, but hop into your app or into your uh, Bible. Or a pew Bible, you'll find us on page 1118, page 1118. And we're going to go very quickly because I have miles to go before I sleep. I have a lot of data to give you uh, today. And uh, I'm praying that it will be useful to you. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be reading there in a short time. And and keep your Bibles open because we're going to be reading through that passage and the chapter that follows throughout the morning. So the other night I was late going up to my small group. On Wednesday night I have a small group that's studying the explicit gospel, doing the videos, which are very different than the book, by the way. If you've read the Matt Chandler book, The Explicit Gospel, the videos are almost like they could be a whole different series. I'm not really sure about that uh, or why that's the case, but uh, it's great material. When I arrived up there, um, the group that was there was just alive with discussion. Uh, I knew they were engaging the material. In fact, the week before, I had said to my wife, I'm never teaching a small group again because it was so dead. And I thought, man, I'm asking them the questions. And if you ever ask a question like, so what do you think that Matt Chandler means when he says, alive to God? And you get that response. Have you ever done that? And you're like, oh boy, well, I got that all evening after the video series. And I said to Laurel, I'm never teaching a small group again. That was just way too painful to experience. And uh, interestingly, the following week when I went in there, they were talking about it. And they said this to me. They said, this is just so challenging. We've never dealt with this before. This is just so interesting. We've never dealt with this before. Now, let me tell you a little bit of what's challenging about it. In the Explicit Gospel video series, Matt Chandler is challenging some of the things you may think about sanctification. Now, if you just heard a theological term, sanctification, shut down, you don't need to. It's not a hard thing to understand. Sanctification means, in the simplest terms, being separate from sin and being dedicated to God. I am separate. I am separating myself from sinful behaviors and practices. I'm dedicating my life to God. Sanctification. We can call it growing in Christ. You can think of it as Christ-likeness. You can think of it as holiness, personal holiness. You can think of it as purity, sanctification. And Chandler's really challenging some of the things that we feel. And, and he's really not alone in this. Dr. Albert Benjamin Simpson often challenged the way we feel about sanctification. Because generally, people see sanctification as working really hard to become who God wants you to become. But it's not, it's not that. It is not something that you attain, Dr. Simpson said. It is not something that you achieve. But sanctification is something that you obtain. Now, if I attain something, I work really hard for it. I can say, I attained this diploma because it was of my own working. I worked hard. I passed the courses. Here's my diploma. But I can say, I obtained this Christmas present because I did nothing to get it. It was given to me. Sanctification is that kind of thing. And, and when we finished talking about it, and as a group was, was discussing it, they said something I haven't heard a small group say before. A couple of them said this. They said, Pastor Steve, this is just so important. And I, I don't really think that I was getting this in the past, but we're only like a group of eight people here. 
you should have a small group for all 200 people that call Carbonsville Alliance their church home, or 300, however many that is, and do it for all of them. And I thought, you know what, I don't have a sermon topic going here. Maybe this Sunday I should try to explain this information in the message this morning. So what I'm going to be talking to you about today is a concept of personal holiness. I'm going to talk to you about your walk with God and how you can walk a pathway of holiness. I want to begin by kind of laying some groundwork. And the most basic thing I can say to you is that some people won't get this. Some people won't allow this to penetrate. They, they won't even hear it. And I'll give you some reasons why we don't get this sometimes. You won't get this if you're in love with your sin. Okay, this whole sermon today, if you're in love with your sin, it's just going to go by you, and you won't even you won't even grasp it. And I don't know any other way to say it except that, but think about it. You cannot expect to move away from your sin toward holiness and purity and sanctification. You can't expect to do that if you're in love with your sin, right? And love is a choice. Love is always a choice. And when we're dating and when we're engaged, we say, Ah, oh, love is a feeling, but you only have to be married about five minutes before you know something different than that, right? Love is a choice. And choosing to love the very things that we want to stop doing, ah, that's non sequitur. That is not going to work. It's nonsense. The old timers used to have this word they used, mortification. Now, you know what that means because you know what a mortician is. And the reason you know what a mortician is is because you watched the Adams family and Mrs. Adams was Morticia, right? A mortician is someone who cares for the dead. Mortification is putting something to, dead, to death. The Bible says that we live by the Spirit and as we do so, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And that all begins with stopping loving sin. If you insist on loving your sin, you won't get this sermon. And likewise, you won't get this sermon if you don't have any interest in being holy. If holiness, if purity of life is not your goal, you won't get this. It just won't make sense to you. Be meaningless to you. The old timers had another phrase, term they used, rather, a word they used. It was called vivication. Something is vivid. It's alive. You know, it's in 3D. It's real. And vivication has to do with bringing something to life. When I talked about vivification, they were talking about bringing yourself to life. That is God bringing you to life, His Spirit enlivening you, quickening you, making you alive so that you could live a better life, a holy life, a life of purity. Are you interested in that? Man, I am. There are parts of Steve Shields that would be better off dead. They need to be mortified. And there are parts of Steve Shields that Jesus has worked with that need to come to life. I heard this sermon series one time about a year and a half ago. If something's going to live, something's got to die. And if there is something inside me that I want to bring to life, something else has to die. And so you have to think of holiness as something you want to see living. If that doesn't interest you, you won't get this sermon. Third, you won't get this sermon if you can't humble yourself. You know, the sin in my life that I hate the most is my arrogance. I hate it. I hate it like crazy. It's ugly. It's offensive. It's troublesome. But here is the worst thing about arrogance. Whenever my heart is filled with arrogance, and I think to myself, well, I'm, I'm a lot better than that guy. 
I close the door to spiritual growth and spiritual life. It is as though I closed it and locked it. As soon as I begin to feel self-righteous, I close the door to real righteousness. Real God, real life, real people. Carmensville Alliance. If you're going to get this sermon, you're going to have to be real enough to admit, be humble enough to admit, that there are things in your life you need to deal with and you can't do it on your own. And fourth, you will not get this sermon if you believe that holiness is a futile pursuit. You won't get this if you think it's holy. If you've tried to be holy, if you've tried to be more like Jesus, if you've tried to be more pure and you've failed, that puts you in a risk category for giving up the whole thing. It might make you feel like spiritual growth and becoming pure, personally pure, is kind of like chasing a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's just not going to happen. I've tried it. Why bother? It's futile. And if that is your thinking, you won't get this sermon. If any of these are your thinking, here's what I'm asking you to do for the next 30 minutes. Lay them aside. Just lay these ideas that you can love your sin and you can pursue holiness and that, that you can do this yourself and, 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 or any of these things that we've talked about. Just lay them aside. That is fundamental to what we're going to say today. So we're talking about groundwork. I also want to say this, that this is alliance doctrine, but it doesn't belong to us exclusively. Methodists were teaching this before Albert Benjamin Simpson was born. Okay? But it is one of our distinctives. We say Jesus is our Savior. See that next word? Sanctifier, healer, and coming king. Jesus is our sanctifier, cleansing us from self and sin and with all his spirit's fullness, filling all our hearts within. Jesus only, Jesus ever, Jesus all in all, we sing, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Glorious Lord, and Coming Kings. Sometimes when we're doing this Chandler study, this video study, sometimes I feel like Chandler's read A.B. Simpson, man, because it's just so similar. This is Alliance teaching, and like Dr. I'm sorry, like Reverend Westover before me and Reverend McCulley before him and every Alliance pastor that has ever been here, we have been teaching this. I have been teaching this all of my pastoral life. In fact, when I came back from the small group this past Wednesday, and they were so excited, you know, and I said to Laurel, she said, how did your small group go? Because remember the previous Wednesday, I was ready to quit doing small groups altogether. It was so flat. And she says to me, how did it go this week? I said, it was great. They were starting to understand this, and I'm talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And Laurel's like, that is so cool. That is so cool. And then she said this sentence. She said, you know, you teach that all the time. And I said, yeah, it's Alliance Doctrine. I do teach this all the time. And then the question became, how come we're not getting it? Why are we, why are, why are we getting this? And I went back, I looked through my, my past sermons, and I do, I, I teach this concept all the time. And I think one of the reasons we don't get it is comes sometimes, sometimes our hearts really aren't expecting to hear from God, and so the sermon goes right by us. But I think there's another thing that Sue Connor is very fond of saying. Sue Connor says this, that you cannot get something until God is ready to show it to you. And God is not ready to show it to you until you are ready to receive it. Do you understand that? I've heard Sue say that numerous times. It's very true. It's very true. So plug in today and see if your heart is ready to receive this information on how to really walk 
a walk of holiness. In fact, let's try to gain a little understanding in our walk toward holiness. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into the text. We'll be in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And we're kind of going to go a little bit at a time. So you want to keep your Bibles open the whole time. The first thing I want to say to you, before we even begin to read, the first thing I want to say to you is, we do not grow in holiness on our own strength. There were religious people alive when Jesus was walking the earth who believed that they could grow in holiness on their own strength. They were called the Pharisees. And they hated Jesus. They felt like they could do it themselves. And the man who's writing Romans 7 and 8, the man who's, who's writing these words that are breathed through him by God, he was one of them. And so kind of as you're reading Romans 7 and 8, you're reading his heart's story in these verses. And the first thing he lays out, we're going to start in verse 18, but the first thing you're going to see is he's laying out the reality that perfection is out of reach, that we cannot be pure on our own. Look at verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Now look at this last phrase. But I cannot carry it out. I can't do it. I can't do it. Now that's the first thing you need to grab in your head, is that you can't do this on your own. Because if you don't grab that in your mind, problems occur whenever you realize you're struggling to be as holy as you would like to be, as holy as you should be. One of the problems that, that occurs sometimes, some people just abandon the effort, you know? It's, it's kind of like this. They shrug their shoulders and they say, oh, nobody's perfect. I tried. I tried to live like Jesus would have me to live, but nobody's perfect. And even Pastor Steve said, I heard him. He said it, that nobody can do this on their own. And so it's impossible. And I've read the Apostle Paul and toward the end of his life in the book of Philippians, he says, not that I have already yet obtained. <laughs> if Paul can't do it, I don't stand a snowball's chance. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in my life. Why should I bang my head against the wall? Please, please, please don't do that. Don't just give up. Don't just abandon the effort. If you feel like you can do it in your own strength, you may be tempted to abandon the effort. Don't do that. Second, some, when they believe I can do this in my own strength and they work at it and they try to do it, they begin to hate their Christianity. Real God, real life, real people. Carmen's Alliance, okay, I'll be real with you. There were years in my life that I hated my Christianity because I tried to live it in my own strength. And I felt like it was a ball and chain. I felt like I could use a vacation from righteousness. My own phrase. I felt like I'm supposed to do good stuff, but I can't do it. And I keep trying and trying and I live in this miserable prison of failure. I hate this. I am sure glad I'm going to heaven Hurry, get me out of this. If you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, you can create misery for yourself. You might abandon the effort. You might stick with it and hate every moment of it. Uh, additionally, there are others that just plain deny their failure. Here's how this happens. They, they try to live the Christian life in their own strength, and they can't. And so what they do is they kind of begin to compartmentalize, you know, and they say, these are things that I can do. I can go to church every Sunday. I can read my Bible. They have a bulleted list. 
go to church every Sunday, read my Bible, I, I can I can pray with my kids, and 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 I can I can quit stealing. I got that. But the, this stuff over here, I just haven't got the gossip, stop gossiping thing down. I still gossip, and and you know what? I still hate my aunt Rose, <laughs> and 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 something else. I I still, man, I'm still really angry about this thing, and 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 I'm still, you know trying to live this Christian life in my own strength, and I can do that part, but I can't do this part. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn a blind eye. I am not going to look at my failures. I'm only going to look at what I achieve here, what I can do in my own strength for Jesus, and I'm not going to look at that. I am going to turn a blind eye to my own sin. Welcome to the world of the hypocrite. Do you understand that? Welcome to the world of the hypocrite. Because because when we try and try and fail and fail, and then we choose to close our eyes to that own failure, just out of self-preservation, we become we become so hypocritical. If you feel like you can make yourself holy, when you discover you can't, the outcome could be problematic. You cannot sanctify yourself. Holiness, personal holiness, is not something you can attain through your personal strength. Hear that again. Personal holiness is not something you can attain through your personal strength. Now, as we're kind of understanding this walk of holiness, let me say this. As fallen human beings, we are wired for the opposite of holiness. Look at Paul's words in verse 19. And tell me you've never felt this way before. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do, this I keep on doing. Ever feel that way? Oh, man. Yeah. You know why? It's because you're wired for sin. He says that in the very next verse. I'm going to use that phrase a lot. The very next verse. Because I want you to follow Paul's thinking. He says you're wired for sin in the very next verse. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Okay, so I kind of I have sin in me. Uh, I was born this way. Now before you try to blame God for that, remember that Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, not God. And before you decide to blame Adam and Eve for that, remember that you would have done the same thing. You would have eaten the fruit the same way, you know? And because we are wired for sin, and because we have the Spirit of God living in it, it almost feels like we're at a stalemate. And that's what he says in the very next verse, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. It's almost like he feels like he's two people. There's a struggle that exists there that in the end leaves him miserable. If you've tried to do what's right and you've found yourself not being able to do that, you probably said the kind of words that he says in verse 24. Ha! Huh. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will deliver me from this sin and death that I'm in? I mean, I don't think the Bible could proclaim any more clearly our utter inability to pursue holiness in our own strength. I I don't think it could have been said any clearer than that. I can't do it. You can't do it. And we need to see that it is really Jesus who provides Deliverance from this misery. Look at the very next verse. He says in verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now pay careful attention here. He is not thanking God for 
the escaping of God's wrath. He's not talking about, thanks be to God, who through Jesus delivers me from the possibility of going to hell. Put it in the context, and you can see he's saying, thank you, Jesus, for delivering me from this utter inability to live a life that is pure. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then he kind of wraps it up at the end of verse 25 when he says, so then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. So how can we move toward our goal of Christ's likeness? I'm going to share with you some subpoints here, and I want to tell you they are right from pages 69 through 71 of the Explicit Gospel Work Study Book. And so this is Matt Chandler's thinking. It just makes so much sense. I want to share it with you today. He calls these weapons of grace. And I like that phrase. I, I like also the phrase, these are tools of grace, because they are tools that you can use to help you walk down this pathway of holiness. In our quest for personal transformation, the first tool we're given is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. You know, there's this spiritual conflict going on in Romans or in Revelation chapter 12, and and partway through it, a song is sung for the victors, actually, when it's concluded, partway through the chapter, this song is sung for the victors, and it has the words that we had for our prelude this morning. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ? I know the blood of Christ is upon me to justify me, to atone for my sins, so that before God I am declared not guilty. But Pastor Steve, are you saying that the blood of Christ has something to do, has something to do with, with my condition? My personal purity? My holiness? Yeah, I'm saying that. John says that in John, 1 John chapter 1, he says the blood of Christ purifies us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And, and then the blood of Christ is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is a tool that helps us on our journey of Christ-likeness. Here's how you use it. Now listen carefully because I am going to be as specific as I possibly can. Understand this. You want to stop something that you know is not pleasing to God. I hate it when I do that. You know that? You know what I'm talking about. Whatever it is in your life, I really want to stop that. Maybe it's a bad habit. I want to stop that. Or maybe it's maybe it's your language. I want to stop that. Or maybe it's your internet browsing. I want to stop that. Or maybe you're struggling to read the Bible every day. I want to start that, but but then you fail. You know, you go a day or two or a week, maybe a month, and then you backslide. Boom, right back down. And and you mess up. And and, and what do you do then? What do you do then when you mess up? Well, if you're a Christian. If you're trusting in Christ's death on the cross to pay for your sins, having turned your heart from them, turning your heart toward Jesus, you can go right to Jesus that moment and say you're sorry. What do you mean I can do that? I don't know that I feel like doing that when I mess up because I'm kind of embarrassed by it. You don't have to be embarrassed. You know why? Because you're covered by the blood of Christ. You're covered by the blood of Christ and you were forgiven even before you asked. Now, when I mess up, I do this. When I sin, I do this. God, please forgive me. <laughs> please forgive me for the way I talk to my wife. I know I shouldn't do that. Please forgive me. But I know this theologically. I was forgiven before I even asked. I was forgiven before I even sinned because of the blood of Christ. 
Have you ever been working for somebody and you messed up? Working for this boss and you mess up, you do something that costs the company a significant amount of money. And you're like, oh, I really messed up. And the boss is due back in 10 minutes. I am going to the storeroom for the next hour and a half. I am not going to face him. I'm going to go to the storeroom and wait until my boss has cooled down a bit. You might have to do that with your earthly boss. You don't have to do that with your heavenly boss. Because you never have to hide. Your sin is hidden by His blood. His blood covers your sin. And you were not brought into right standing with God by your own doing. It was by His blood. And you do not remain in right standing with God by your own doing. You remain in right standing with God by His blood. And so instead of running from Him when you fail, you run to Him because of His blood. Do you understand that? Are you getting that? And He'll never turn you away. He will never turn you away because you're covered by the blood of Christ. You're getting an inkling of how powerful that is. That is why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about, I am a failure, that is what he's saying. I am a practical, spiritual failure when I try to do these things. But in the very next verse, which happens to be in the very next chapter, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So even when you mess up, when you come to Him, there is not condemnation. He does not stand there with His hand on His hip, tapping His toe, like Miss Wesson did in fifth grade, you know. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You're covered in the blood. And He receives you. Satan, your enemy, would like to tell you otherwise. Satan, your enemy, would like to tell you you need to clean up your act before you come back to Him. That is not true. You can't clean up your act. And if you believe Satan, you'll never come back to Jesus. You'll never come back. But because of the blood of Christ, you can come back with your filthy act. And He will take you there and work with you from there. Oh, what a powerful tool. No wonder Chandler calls it a weapon of grace. It's powerful. Let me give you the second tool. The second tool is the Word of God. The second tool is the Word of God. When Jesus is in conflict with the devil at the start of His ministry, do you know what tool He used? He, he could have gone and zapped him. You understand that? But He didn't. The only tool Jesus used was the Word of God. Remember the incident? There, there Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's pretty hungry. And the devil says, you know, why don't you turn these stones here into bread? Yeah, go ahead. And Jesus quotes to him Scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did Jesus get that? The Bible. Well, the devil says, uh, throw yourself down from the top of this tower, because then people will know you're the Messiah if you survive a, a fall like that. God will take care of you. Go ahead. God will take care of you. And Jesus replies, it is also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Where do you get that? The Bible. How about this? Uh, bow down and worship me and all these kingdoms that you can see, Jesus. I'll give them all to you. You can have them all. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where did that come from? The Bible. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. How cool is that? How cool is that? You see, when you read the Bible, it becomes a part of you. But your enemy would like to keep you from that. But it is one of the most powerful tools you can use, any of us can use, 
to move us toward holiness. Now hear this, because I didn't get this for years and years and years. Hear this. The Bible is a great tool for personal holiness, not because it gives us a list of rules and regulations. That's the mindset that I had in the past. That the Bible's a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path because it tells me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do do this, do do this. That's how it's a light and a lamp. No. That is not how it's a light and a lamp. The Pharisees had that down. They knew that better than you and me combined. And they were in darkness, utter darkness. The Bible is a tool for spiritual growth and holiness because it points you to the Gospel. Let me say that sentence again. The Bible is a tool for holiness because it points you to the Gospel. And it tells you that you are forgiven completely. And that moves you toward holiness. And it tells you that God is on your side, not out to get you. And that moves you toward holiness. And it tells you what your true identity is as a child of the King. And, and, and in the eyes of God, you're, you're pure and you're sinless. And that moves you toward holiness. You're not a failure. You're not. Don't believe me? Well, let's just look at the very next verses, shall we? You're in chapter 8, right? Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the Bible says you are free. You are free to come to God for help. But you say to me, no, Pastor Steve, you don't understand. Chapter 7, the very thing that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Chapter 8, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for you. None. Because Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's skip down to verse 14. Man, I wish we could do the whole chapter, but skip ahead to verse 14 of chapter 8. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Bible says that you're a child of God. Oh, but Pastor Steve, you don't understand chapter 7. I'm a chapter 7 guy. Because the good that I want to do, I don't do that. Chapter 8, you're a child of God. Back off. Let it go. Let it go and come to God and draw close to Him. The very next verse. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you have to live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him you cry, Daddy, Dad, Abba, Father. But Pastor Steve, you don't understand. I feel like I am such a slave to sin. That's chapter 7. Quit talking about it. Come over here to chapter 8 and know, know that you are not a slave. You are a child of God. And let that draw you down this pathway of holiness. The very next verse. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says you're an heir. No, Pastor Steve, I probably was an heir. But the stuff that I want, there's this law that's alive within me that just draws me. I am wired for sin, Pastor Steve. I am not an heir. Yes, you are. Get out of chapter 7. Come over to chapter 8. And when you see that you're a child of the King who gives you all these blessings, wow, that draws you close to Him. And remember what sanctification is. It is being separated from sin and drawn to God. So when you see these good things that He has done for you, it draws you near. Skip ahead to verse 28. What a great verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, we stop there. 
But look at what the purpose is. Look at what God is working to do. What is the good for you who have been called according to his purpose? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's sanctification. You were predestined by God to be like Jesus, to be holy, to be pure, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now look at verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Man, we argue about that verse, and, and, and we use it to cause division, but it is meant to say to you that you have been predestined to walk a pathway of holiness by God. By God. But Pastor Steve, you don't understand. I just struggle and struggle and struggle. I understand. But God predestined you to make it through that struggle. Look at the very next verse. Verse 31. What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Do you know who the one who condemns is? It's Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is your accuser. He tells you you must live in chapter 7. He tells you that you will never be able to walk any pathway of holiness. Who is he that condemns? Verse 34 asks. No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of the above. None of the above. The whole passage of Romans 8 is to tell you that you can walk this pathway of holiness because Jesus is providing the ability to do that. Skip down to verse 37. Look at the word that's there in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors. What are you conquering? You're conquering this whole issue of slavery to sin. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death or life or angels or demons or the present or the future or powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How more explicit could the Bible possibly be concerning the victory bought for you by Jesus Christ? You really couldn't. Christ paved the way for you. You know, when I try to illustrate this and I think of this, and, and I came up with this kind of, I don't know, kind of corny illustration on Wednesday night, but it worked for me. You ever been in a place where it snowed really, really deep? Like maybe you get up in the morning and you open the door and you can't move it because there's like 28 inches of snow against the door and that's just the beginning? So you finally push that thing open, you muscle it open, you try not to hurt the door, and, and you get out there and you're looking like between you and the garage or between you and the milk house or between you and the barn or between you and, and where you need to be, there's like 36 inches of snow. And you're like, oh i got to be the first to cut the trail through that. I'm not shoveling it, but i got to cut a trail through that. Now, if you're, if you're the second or third born, maybe your big brother was already out there. But if your big brothers are like my big brothers, they did this number. They did this like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and you're looking at that, and you got your little eight-year-old legs, and you're like, I am not going to get through that, man. That was no help at all. But your big brother is not like my big brothers. Your big brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he walked the walk of holiness, he dragged his feet. You hear that? He dragged his feet so that he could cut a path. So that you can walk forward because of what he did on the cross. He did that. And the Word of God 
The Word of God shows you that. The third tool is the grace of God. The grace of God. It's kind of funny, you know, if you say this, if you say, I'm not much for the Old Testament, you run the risk of getting a lecture. Don't really care too much about the Old Testament. Oh, baby, all 66 books are inspired. You sit down while I talk to you, buddy, and you'll, you'll get that lecture from the right people if you say that. But here's something, so don't say that. Just don't say that, okay? But here's something that you can and should say. I'm not much for the Old Covenant. You hear that? I'm not much for the Old Covenant. None of us are. We're not supposed to be. Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Covenant. He came and fulfilled the law. He was the spotless Lamb of God who satisfied the righteous requirements of the law completely, thoroughly, unequivocally. He canceled our debt. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2 that we were dead in our sins, and when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive to God in Christ. He forgave our sins, listen to this phrase, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. How cool is that? So by his grace, and that is the third of these weapons or tools that you have, by his grace, you're free from many things. You're free from God's wrath. You're free from fearing hell. You are free to pursue holiness. You're free to pursue that. The enemy would say you are not. The enemy would want you to do it in your own strength. The enemy would want you to live in chapter 7. Gordon McKenzie is a person I never met. I've only read about him. I guess he was like uh, the creative force be behind Hallmark cards for a while. Gordon McKenzie, he cared enough to write the very best. Okay, Hallmark. Right? One of the things he did is he would go and speak to students, probably just about his work and things like that, and he spoke to all ages of students. This is kind of interesting to me. Gordon McKenzie, if it, when he would go into a class, maybe he'd be in a kindergarten or first grade class, and he would say, how many of you are artists? And every hand would go up. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. If he went to an, into a second grade class, how many of you are artists? Maybe like three-fourths of the kids would raise their hand. In third grade, how many of you are artists? Just a few kids. And by the time he got to sixth grade, no one's an artist. How many of you are artists? None. Now, there are lots of reasons why the outcome is like that, why that number drops with time, but one of the reasons is likely criticism, graceless criticism. Because when we're told we can't do something, we give up. Draw a circle on your paper, Billy. Oh, Billy, that is one ugly circle. You are not an artist. You better study math. <laughs> That's non-grace. Okay? Grace isn't like that. Grace says, draw a circle on your, on your paper, Billy. Okay, draw another. Hmm, that's a little rounder. Draw another. Oh, Billy, you're getting better at this. Draw another. Whoops, that's a little bit like your first one. Draw another. I like that one. You're doing great. Draw another. Draw another. Draw another. And in your quest for holiness, grace says, Try again. I know, I know, no good thing lives within you, but my spirit lives within you. Try it again. I know the good you want to do, you do not do, but move a little closer to me. And let's try that again. I know the very thing that you don't want to do, that's exactly what you do, but draw near unto me. I will in no wise cast you out. 
You have grace before me. And I don't care how many times you fail, Brennan Manning is right. It's all grace. It is all grace. Good tools. The blood of Christ. The Word of God. The grace of God. Underlying all those tools has to be a heart that's motivated by love. It has to be a heart that is motivated by love. For many, I would say at one point or another in maybe almost all of our lives, the motivation we had toward personal purity was based in fear. In the generation before my own, it went like this. You wouldn't want to be caught in a movie theater when Christ returned, would you? What would that be like? It'd be especially bad if you're watching Bambi. Motivation was fear. It just doesn't seem to work. It just doesn't seem to work. You understand we do fear God, but that fear is a fear that is a sort of reverence. I fear Him because I respect Him and I, I reverence Him. But I don't grovel before Him, and you should not too. If you are in Christ, the author of Hebrews says, you can approach the throne of grace boldly. Boldly. And if you have a tendency to do the things you do, from a platform of fear, you've got to let go of that and begin to allow love to motivate you. Because the love of God is actually the energy to your heart that your heart consumes so that you can produce love for God. Do you understand that? The love that you sense from God, that's fuel for your heart. And your heart can burn that fuel and the outcome of that, the product that is produced, is holiness and service and a life of love for God. And the Gospel gives us a picture of that unending love. So that holiness is not an attainment. It is not something that we achieve in our own strength after striving and striving and striving. It is an obtainment. It is something we receive from God through the work of Christ on the cross. And we live out of that which we have received from Him.